Well, tonight, as you know, I am going to do part two of a two-part message on 14 examples of the noetic effects of sin. I did the first part on Sunday evening, November 4th, and I'm not going to, except briefly, go over everything I went over in that message. So if you're here tonight and you weren't here for part one and some of this is confusing, you may want to go back and listen to that again. I'll I'll do a little bit of a review here tonight, but I can't. We don't have time to go in depth into that. I want you to turn tonight to the same passage we were in in part one, and that is Romans chapter one and verses 18 through 32. One of the most important passages of scripture on this subject. Now, as we begin tonight, I also want to acknowledge uh, as I did in the first message, that a lot of this material certainly isn't original with me. I drew a lot from Al Mohler in some messages and writings he's done on this subject, and also from Ligonier Ministries, the longtime teaching ministry of R.C. Sproul. And even though he is now home with the Lord, a ministry that continues to grow strong, to go strong and to go on. And I think it's interesting as we consider these effects of sin on the human mind, the human intellect, to know that Time Magazine called Al Mohler one of the greatest intellects in all of evangelical Christianity in our day. So we're talking about a person who is blessed with almost genius-like in intellectual capabilities. And so as he has preached and taught on how sin has affected his own mind. I think that's very instructive and humbling for the rest of us. Um, but Romans 1, if you will allow me, because I, I think it sets such a, an important foundation for all that I want to share with you tonight, I want to read verses 18 through 32 and then come back and highlight a couple of verses. And as I read through this, I... I think it's important that we understand that this passage of Scripture, though well-known by most Christians, is not simply saying to us, here's what the secular mind is like. No, it is saying, here's what we're all like. Apart from Christ, this is all of us. Romans 1, verses 18 through 32. All of us come from this intellectual foundation of a depraved mind and it's only by the grace of God and only by the redemptive work of Christ that we're even able to overcome this to some degree Paul writes for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They are filled, they are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It's not that they don't know the truth. They suppress it. Verses 21 and 22. For although they knew God, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then that just piercing phrase, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Verse 32, though they know, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Well, our first point tonight is going to be a brief review. The effect of sin on our thinking. That's our first point. The fall into sin has caused mankind to ignore and deny their creator. Not that they don't know that there's a creator. Not that there isn't something in them that acknowledges that there is some kind of creator, but they choose, they choose to ignore and deny their creator. Sin has affected our minds and causes our thinking to become futile apart from Christ. This effect upon our minds is known as, or is known in theology as the noetic effects of sin. Now, let me give you the definition that I gave you in part one. The noetic effects of the fall refers to the intellectual consequences of sin. Its effect on our entire process of thinking. This is very important. In part one, I'm not going to go over it again. 
But in part one, I shared with you that this understanding of the total fall of the human being, our will, our mind, and all parts of us, our senses, all fallen, helps to explain the historical difference between historical biblical Protestantism and historical Roman Catholicism. There, those differences can be explained, at least in part, to understanding the fall and our theological and biblical understanding of the fall of man and how that affects us. Roman Catholics and historical biblical Protestants have disagreed on the extent of the fall. We believe it is a full fall, including our own mind. And this is so devastating to the human mind that I want to share with you again the premise of the two parts of this message. We need to be bound to the word of God, not only because it is the truth of God, but because it is only through the Bible that we know and understand reality. Apart from scripture, we live in a fantasy world that doesn't exist. We need to constantly bind ourselves, immerse ourselves, saturate ourselves with the word of God. Because apart from it, we are prone to live outside of reality in an existence that doesn't actually exist. Apart from scripture, we live in a fantasy world that doesn't exist. And as I shared with you before, there are hundreds if not millions of people living in a fantasy world. People, intelligent, well-educated people who don't believe that there is any God, who are what we call atheists. They deny the reality of any supreme being, of any God, atheists. There are agnostics, intelligent, well-educated people who, don't, who believe if there is some kind of God out there that we have no ability to know him or have any kind of relationship with him. There are millions of people in this world who are worshiping false gods. Gods that they have made up and created in their own minds. Millions of people living and dying all across this globe that we live on, living in a fantasy world that doesn't exist, worshiping gods that they made up, living in a pretend world, a world that doesn't even exist. Now, I want to clarify something just so there's no misunderstanding as I did in the first message. There are some Christians who have said that the fall into sin has destroyed our capacity to reason. And that is not com completely true. We do believe, and I want to make sure we understand this, that we still have an ability to think in a reasonable, rational fashion. It is true that the unredeemed will ultimately or the unredeemed mind will ultimately lead a person to futility. However, though our minds have been affected by sin, they have not been destroyed. So I don't want to go to the extreme that some have gone to in saying that we can't, we have no ability to reason or think rationally. We do. Unbelievers still find truth sometimes and attain a breadth of knowledge in various areas. We would all acknowledge that there are unbelievers who have created great works of architecture, 
who have written great works of literature, written great pieces of music, who have made great discoveries in medicine and technology. We acknowledge that. Scripture presents logical arguments. The Apostle Paul argues in an amazingly logical fashion in his writings. Whether you're reading Romans or reading Galatians or reading Ephesians, it is laid out in an amazingly logical fashion, inspired by the Holy Spirit and amazingly logical. So, we're not saying that we can't reason or that we don't think rationally. However, we are saying this. The knowledge crisis is not what we do not know, but what we will not know. The knowledge crisis is not what we do not know, but what we choose not to know. We may know the truth, but we suppress the truth. We may know that there's a God, but we do not honor him as God. Often we do not even acknowledge that he exists. We are rational, but we are rationally given over to sin. Even in our rational thought processes, apart from Christ, they lead us ultimately into sin and to futility. It is in the areas of the rational and reason that we commit our greatest sins. We know the truth. We know about the existence of God, but we deny it. We willfully, brazenly refuse to believe. And what I want to do, our second point is eight more noetic effects of sin. We looked at the first six in part one. We look at eight more. How sin has affected our process of thinking. And then I want to look at what does this mean to all of us? Why even go over this and try to bring the two parts together tonight? Number seven, inconsistencies. Our thinking, even as Christians, is plagued with inconsistencies. Inconsistencies we do not see in ourselves. This has been phrased a number of different ways in Christianity. We have weaknesses. We have blind spots. All of us, every single one of us have blind spots that we cannot, we cannot see in our own lives. We can only see with the help of others and sometimes we refuse that help. I'll touch on that more when we talk about what this means to us. But we are inconsistent. Often what we can see clearly in other people, we can't see in ourselves. I talked this morning about how Christian parents will often tell their children not to curse, and if they curse, they'll wash their mouths out with soap. And then those same Christian parents will go out and gossip and talk behind people's backs And cut down people while they're not there. Say mean things. They don't realize how inconsistent they are. We may may see or think that someone is obnoxious or rude. And totally miss the fact that sometimes we come across that way to other people. And not see it in ourselves. Number eight. Failure to draw the right conclusion. 
There is a willful denial and blindness toward data. As Al Mohler puts it, for some, sometimes it's simply we go A, B, C, D, Z. And we just ignore everything in between. We only acknowledge those things we want to acknowledge. We can have the data presented to us and we simply deny it. Glaring examples. Scientific evidence over and over again has talked about the viability of the unborn child in the womb. It continues to verify. Scientific evidence continues to verify over and over again that that child in the womb, I don't even like to call it a fetus. I just don't like that word. It's a human being. It's an innocent child. Has been shown to be a human being and yet viable life and yet millions of people refuse refuse to even acknowledge the truthfulness of the data evolution has become so ingrained in the thinking of many people that they do not see anything else but that it has become ingrained in some academic institutions They do not see their inconsistencies. They do not see the futility of their own logic and their own conclusions. But it is easy for us, easy for us to look at unbelievers and say, yes, they're not drawing right conclusions, but we are prone to do the same thing. We are. Even when presented with evidence, if it doesn't go along with what I've always been taught or what I've always thought, I deny the evidence that is right before me. I'm going to give you a sensitive example tonight. Some of you may not like my example. Uh, There is. I, I don't buy into the whole thing. But there is some truth to climate change. Okay? There is some scientific evidence verifying that our world has been affected by the way we treat it and it has affected some weather patterns. And do you know why that is true? Because we are sinful people and we have abused this world that we live in ever since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. And our environment has reaped consequences from the raping of large portions of forests through gas emissions. Now again, I'm not saying I believe or hold to the whole thing. But some of, there is some truth to that. And we can't stand back and say, well, I don't believe in climate change, so I'm just going to ignore the whole thing. I'm going to ignore the scientific data that is brought before me. That's just an example. We need to be careful that we don't become so glued to some viewpoint that we ignore the evidence that is given to us. Number nine, intellectual apathy. This has been called perhaps the greatest and most devastating effect on the intellect of the fall of man. We are not passionate about the things that should be of eternal and infinite concern. We just are not. This goes along with number five that I mentioned a few weeks ago, a faulty perspective. This is one of the most difficult 
And one of the things I'll admit that I have struggled with my whole Christian life. I know things are true, but I'm just not as passionate about them as I should be. Big example. Everyone in this room right here. Everyone in this room would say they believe that there is a literal hell. And that people who die without Christ are going to a literal hell where they will be in agony and torture forever and ever. And yet we think little about the fact that every minute of every day people are dying all around us and going to hell. Does it really affect our prayer lives? Does it really affect our relationships with the people who are in our sphere of influence? I used to share this in the basic doctrines class that I taught as a Bible Institute class years ago. But Martin Marty was a well-known liberal theologian about 20, 30 years ago. Taught at the University of Chicago. And he used to say that conservative Christians don't really believe in a literal hell. They say they do, but they don't. He said, because if they did, they wouldn't spend their time watching television. They wouldn't spend their time in all kinds of recreational activities. They would be on their knees begging God to bring salvation to those people. They would be going and doing everything they possibly can to save those people from hell. Now, I don't fully agree with everything that he says, but he makes a good point. Do I really live as if the people around me are going to hell? Why, aren't I, why am I not more passionate? Why doesn't it bother me more? You know why? It's intellectual apathy. It is. Another example. The Bible is the word of God. We say that. We affirm that strongly in this new statement of faith that we're proposing to you. It's the word of God. It is God speaking to us. But how much time do we really spend in the Bible? I mean, let's be honest. How much time of our days, yes, we read it, we have our devotions, maybe we do the daily bread, maybe we study for the Bible study that we're in, but how, many, how much time do we really give? And I'm not saying any of these things to heap guilt on you. I'm just saying that it helps us to understand that we are so fallen. We have a difficult time seeing the most important things in life. We need to ask God for his help in overcoming that. Number 10, dogmatism and closed-mindedness. We hold on to things with tenacity that we should not hold on to. We just become dogmatic about our particular position or our particular way of thinking. We see this in politics all the time. This last midterm election was just a classic example of dogmatism and closed-mindedness. People on one side just passionate, marching in the streets. Another side totally opposed. Neither side listening to each other and so dogmatic in their positions. And we need to be careful, even as Christians, 
that we don't do the same thing. Sometimes we think church can only be done the way we grew up or the way we think it should be done. Becoming blind, dogmatic to the way that there may be people in other cultures and other places whose flavor of worship may look a little different than ours, even though same gospel, same preaching. And we just need to be careful that we don't say, and it's always an issue in the church, well, that's not the way we've always done it. I mean, that's, that's one of the most heard statements in, in churches. That's not the way we've always done it. Well, maybe the way we've always done it can be changed. Maybe it can be done even better than how we've done it in the past. You know, we all, and you've probably said this before, we make in our lives the best decisions we can make with whatever information we have at that time. 20 years ago, I made the best decisions I knew how to make with the information that I had. But if we get more information, if someone shows us something different, we need to be willing to change. We need to be willing to change our minds if we are shown that we are wrong or that the way we've always looked at it can be looked at differently. Number 11, intellectual pride. The Bible teaches us that knowledge puffs up. We look down on those we don't think are as intelligent as we are. In 2010, there was a study that was done that showed that the most secular minds in America were found in higher education. That's probably not surprising to any of you. And that some of the most secular minds were found in the film and television industry and in the arts. Now, there is nothing wrong with higher education. There are many Christians who have gotten advanced degrees, master's degrees, doctorates, film, television. The arts are good things, gifts from God if used wisely. However, they are examples that when we get a certain degree... And let's, let's admit it, there's prestige attached to certain academic degrees or certain professional standings. Our tendency is to look down upon those who don't have what we have. We do. Interesting example of this that has really caught my attention. They in the last election, talked about those that tended to support Donald Trump. And they said he tends to be supported by white males without college educations. And as one commentator pointed out, there is a subtle bigotry there. There is a subtle looking down upon those who don't have a college education. Oh, that's why they support him. Because they aren't intellectually advanced. Folks, that's foolishness. 
There is a huge difference between wisdom and education. And again, I'm a strong believer in the merits of higher education, in the arts. However, we must always be careful that we never look down upon anyone else. Even some of you, maybe you had an opportunity to go to Bible college. Maybe you've got a master's degree or higher education. Be careful. Be careful that you never allow it to puff you up and look down upon others. Twelve, vain imagination. We make images of God out of created things. Millions of people all over the world. Hindus, Buddhists, animists, worshiping all kinds of created things. In one of the perspectives classes that I was a part of, we went to the Hindu temple. And it was fascinating just seeing the little statues of elephants and snakes and the fruit that they had offered to them and how they worshipped at these places. But that's not just happening in false religions. There are people in America who are worshipping a certain level of economic success. It's where they want to be. It's who they want to be. There are people who are worshiping a certain level of professional success. Their whole lives are given over to this, that they might attain this created thing, that they perceive as being success or great human achievement. Number 13, miscommunication. Translation between people is difficult and is one of the great limitations upon intellectual advance. I believe one of the devastating effects of the fall is we do not listen to each other. We do not listen. I believe listening is one of the great gifts that you can give to someone else. A willingness to truly listen to them. But you know what happens even among Christians as we talk with someone, let's say it's someone who disagrees with us, takes a position different than ours. While they're talking, do you know what I'm doing? I'm formulating my argument. I'm not listening to them. I'm already thinking about how I'm going to respond to them. Ah, they brought that up. So I don't really listen to what they're telling me. I don't really listen to their side of the argument. I'm already thinking about how I'm going to get back, how I'm going to push back and respond. The inability to listen to others. And then number 14, partial knowledge. We only know things in part, and we often do not even know how partial our partial knowledge is. We don't. Folks, and I mentioned this in one of the other effects of, of sin. We don't know very much. We really don't. I can talk about the persecuted church for which the congregation prayed a few weeks ago. I only know a little bit about what's really going on in the persecuted church. I can talk about the house church in China and how it's going through the house church is going through a renewed persecution. I don't know a lot about it. I just know a little. I know enough to pray, enough to be concerned. But 
even beyond that, you take any area of mathematics, other areas of science, any intellectual discipline, and we know so little. I can have my doctorate in some area and still only have scratched the surface of all the knowledge that is out there. Well, we're going to, that's the end of the 14 examples. But our third and last point is simply this. What must we take away from all of this? This is what I want to leave us with. What does this mean to us? First of all, the noetic effects of sin should constantly keep us humble, teachable, and absolutely dependent on Christ. After I did part one, the number one comment, I received a lot of comments, a lot of feedback for which I'm so grateful. But the number one comment I heard was, this is so humbling. I'm forgetful. I'm inconsistent. I'm apathetic. There's so little I know. And compared to the eternal, infinite God, we know so little. So, let us be humble in whatever we know. Let us always be teachable. And let us always be absolutely dependent on Christ. Again, remember the, two, the premise of the two parts of this message. We need to be bound to the word of God, not only because it is the truth of God, but because it is, the, it is only through the Bible that we know and understand reality. Apart from scripture, we live in a fantasy world that doesn't exist. Al Mohler makes this suggestion, three parts, three parts. We must avail ourselves constantly of the word of God, number one. Number two, we must avail ourselves constantly of the life of the local church. We need each other. We need each other. We need to say, I don't think you see that correctly. I don't think you've thought through that completely. I think there's another point of view you haven't considered yet. Do you realize how you're coming across to other people? We need each other. We do. We need to speak the truth in love to each other. Third, we must depend constantly upon the corrective presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives to conform us to the image of Christ. Dr. Muller writes this, at the end of the day, we are not smarter than the rest. We are not morally superior to those who do not know Christ. We did not come to know salvation in Christ because we are wise. Salvation is all of grace. Our intellectual discipleship must be demonstrated in the renewing of our minds by the word and through the spirit and in the church. Secondly, let us take away the, no, the noetic effects of sin can help us to understand how unbelievers think and why a clear presentation of the gospel is critical. I don't have a lot of time to expand on this tonight, but we need to. This can help us. We need to think through this. can help us to understand why unbelievers think the way they do and why they act the way they do. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he is not able, he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. 
In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They are experiencing the devastating effects of the fall of man, of sin, and don't even realize it. There's only one thing that can cut through that, folks. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. And even if they initially reject it, even if they don't at first understand it, keep giving it to them. Keep giving it to them. I believe, biblically, it is the only thing that cuts to the core of the human heart. I often smile when I hear our people or other Christians say, you know, I told them about Christ. I told them how he died in their place. And they just didn't get it. Do you know why they don't get it? Because they don't get it. Okay? They don't get it because they can't get it on their own. It doesn't. Folks, the gospel doesn't make sense to them. It is foolishness to them. And you need to understand that. It is only by the work of the Holy Spirit. And let that, that motivate us to pray and to share clearly. Thirdly, a third takeaway. The noetic effects of sin should cause us to long for heaven when all things will be made right and new. In Revelation 21, it says this. One day he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things, notice this, the former things have passed away. That's the noetic effects of the fall. That's all the effects of the fall. And he was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. We long for that day. One day our minds will be whole. One day we will not experience the effects of the fall anymore. Let us long for that day. That day is coming. And we have great hope, but we live here until then. And that leads me to my last thought. To what extent can the noetic effects of sin be overcome in the mind of a Christian? And I will say, in Christ, they can be overcome to some degree, but never fully. Let me say that again. The noetic effects of the fall in the mind of a Christian, can be overcome to some degree, but never fully. I think part of the answer to that is found in what I have been sharing with you from the book of Ephesians. Putting off the old self and putting on the new. Living like the new person that we are. It is Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, Romans 6. It's also Romans 8. We are more than conquerors in Christ. So there is some extent to which we can experience Victory in these areas. However, we will always on this earth experience spiritual warfare and spiritual warfare plays itself out most predominantly in the human mind. Most spiritual warfare takes place in the human mind as we seek to have our minds renewed by the word of God and by the spirit of God. But remember this. Let us seek to live as victoriously as we possibly can in Christ.
but we will never fully overcome the devastating effects of sin until we are in the presence of the sinless one, Jesus himself. To me, there is one great closing verse for both messages. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Do you know what this earthly life is? Now we see dimly as in a mirror. And that is why C.S. Lewis coined his famous phrase that we live in the shadowlands. On this earth, we live in the shadowlands until one day everything is made clear. So, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, I say this be hopeful and be humble. Be hopeful and be humble. We're going to close our closing song that I've asked uh, Pastor Mike to close with is the great hymn, Immortal Invisible. Because I take great solace and great comfort in the fact that even though I have been greatly affected by sin, God has not. He is perfect. And to him I look for everything. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Thank you that even in the midst of our sin, you give us measures of victory. You give us measures of the sweetness of knowing you and treasuring you. Oh Lord, as we think about the devastating effects of the fall, may it cause us to humbly cling to Christ in every area of life. For we pray in his name. Amen.